Hi everyone and welcome to the Spasmotation Book Club, my podcast where I take a positive look at the nasty and the extreme, but in this format I do it with a guest from the extreme horror or splatterpunk community. Uh, with me this week I have Chase Wills, welcome to the show. Hey everybody, thank you for having um, me on Stephen. Uh, no problems man, I mean you let me on your podcast, it only seems fair. Oh it's my pleasure. Um, so yeah, before we um, get started, going through um, Edward Lee's The Big Head, should be a very fun conversation. Mm-hmm. Excellent, there we go. <laughs> uh, if I just give um, you a little bit of a chance to talk about yourself first, if you just let the audience know kind of what you're up to within the community and what books you have out, where they can get them, and anything else you want to chat about, really. Okay. Well, I'm Chase Will. I'm the author of Moving Through. It's a young adult book. I'm also the author of Birthday Girl written under the name Ash Crowlin. I also host the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Look at that, cheap marketing. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Where I interview people about their favorite books and movies and about their own work. So it's uh, kind of similar. So you check it out. How long have you been doing the podcast now? Must be a little while, right? It's been about a year. I think I'm on episode 90 or so by now. Because I was pumping them out pretty quickly for a while. Yeah, I saw quite a lot of the early ones. You've had pretty much like, well, I'd say at least half the community on there by now, if not a bit more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got extremely lucky early on where everybody was saying yes, and I was like, I might as well ask everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so I wasn't just... getting no's at all. I was I was really happy with it. Like, everybody wanted to be on, and it's been a ride, and I really enjoyed it. Awesome. I have to say no to that. <laughs> I'm still at that stage where I'm just like, oh, should I ask people or not? Like At the moment, people are asking me, so it's easier that way. <laughs> It is better. What yeah. I learned is like you can't really lose anything by asking, so you might as well ask. But that's what I've learned mm. like early on is most of the time they'll say yes, and if they say no, they usually give you like a better date. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so now I'm just going to bombard everyone now. <laughs> I'll be like, <laughs> it's Chase's fault. <laughs> he said it was. It cool. is always my fault. <laughs> uh, did you want to let people know a little bit about what your podcast is about, like what you kind of. Oh, sure. Oh, the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. I start every episode asking what the guest's favorite horror movie is. And then we get to talking about the writing process, if they're a writer or if they're an actor or director, that process. Uh, It's basically a way for me to get to know everybody in the community and for everybody else who's listening to get to know them as a person and as a fan. And the premise of the podcast is your favorite artists nerding out as fans. So it's, it's less of an interview format and more of just getting to know them as people versus, you know, knowing them through their body of work. Yeah. Well, I like the format a lot. I think it was a really good podcast. And he says you Thank just you. get to know the guests a bit more, right? Like it's it's like it's like it's networking and it's fun. <laughs> yeah. It's well, fun it's, working. Yeah, it's why I started this. I was just like, how else am I ever going to get to chat to anyone? They're all in America. Like, yeah, I think uh twenty twenty got me really used to the Zoom format, which was a plus of that. So like being on Zoom now is just second nature. <laughs> yeah i'm getting there <laughs> slowly <laughs> look at those books uh, in the background what do you got there uh they're skullduggery pleasant so i don't know if you've oh, ever uh, read any of them they're like a kind of ya horror i think i read some of those growing up those and uh cirque de freak were really good books did you ever read uh, those yep they're higher up you can't see they're just oh there we the go top corner just there yeah Oh, yeah, Darren Chan, he's like one of my main influences as a writer. I, I love his work. Oh, really? Oh, the Darren Chan saga, oh, it's amazing. I absolutely oh, yeah. loved it. 
Did you ever read the uh, Demonata? Uh, I read the first four or five. Actually, maybe think, it was. I think that's what like, yeah. got me into Splatterpunk, honestly, was that first book, uh, Lord Lost. It starts off with that heavy punch, just visceral guts and blood everywhere. It's well fucking gory for what yeah. is essentially meant to be a <laughs> YA book. Like, I, I was like, that, I didn't know YA books could do this. <laughs> yeah, like, that, the Darren Sean saga has got some real nasty bits in it. But oh, yeah. the Dementor stuff was just like crazy. It was all like hell-based and... It was a lot more gloopy and gory than I was expecting. Yeah, all my friends were reading Harry Potter books growing up, and I was over here reading these gory-ass Darren Shan books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read the Harry Potter books as well, but no, once I read the Darren Shan saga, I was instantly a fan. Like, yeah, I, think I didn't I like brought... the movie a whole lot. Oh, I didn't even get through it. Like, there's not yeah. often I turn off a movie, but I was like, this isn't not even close to the book. Like they've They've not even read the book. It was like it was very Nickelodeonized, where it was like all family yeah. friendly and none of the cool gory stuff. They tried to condense three books into one hour and a half movie. And yeah. That's a mistake. Well, that was the other thing I love about those books is they're like essentially like four trilogies, mm -hmm. which just works incredibly well. It's just great pace to it and so nasty and just epic. It just kept getting bigger and bigger. Like, yeah, I love those ones. Yeah, I think Darren Shan is like one of my dream guests for the podcast. Like if I had him on, I'd be like, my life is complete. It's yeah. come full circle. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't see his name mentioned too much. Like, obviously, I'm more of an extreme horror splatterpunk now. But every now and again, when I see someone be like, oh, what should I get my kids to read to kind of get into this sort of stuff slowly? I'm like, Darren Shan saga. Like, mm. it's got to be pleasant. Darren Shan saga. Like, that's what led me in this direction. So uh, Skullduggery, uh, Skullduggery Pleasant, is that gory? It's not gory, but where it's kind of, um, it's, a, it's a little bit gory at times. It's it's not like Darren Sean, but it's not Harry Potter. I'd say it's kind of the in-between okay. of those two. And it gets a bit more kind of epic as it goes, and it gets darker and more. Like, it's a very funny book, like Skullduggery is hilarious, but... It gets more and more depressing when you find out his full history. Oh. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, that's a lot for a kid's book. But, that's what I like but, about young adult books is, like, they're super heavy sometimes. Like, they have all these themes that are, like, really dark, especially for younger readers. But younger readers can actually take that and absorb it and actually process it. Yeah. Like, I think people underestimate what young adults can do with books. Yeah, I I, I think they're fantastic. Like I said, I would... I've, as an adult, I love them. And as a kid, well, not a kid, I think I was early 20s when I started reading them. But like even then, I liked them. Even now, I could pick them up and read them despite all the blood and gore I read now. Like they're just cool stories and just nice and dark when they need to be. Yeah. Actually, that was a criticism that I got for my book, Moving Through. It's this one here. Somebody said, like, it's really dark. They say, are you sure this is a young adult book? Because it has stuff like, you know, death and dying. And it has things like grief and uh, mental illness. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, teens go through that stuff and they can process it. Yeah, definitely. I can't remember all the other ones. I read this other one a while back. I think it was, I'm going to butcher his name. Is it like VC Scrubs or Scrubs or something like that? What do you write? Oh, let me see if I can find it. But that was like super dark. And there's a couple of books, but I only read the first one. Um, but yeah, like they were recommended to me and they were fantastic books. Uh, I'm not going to be able to find it now. And the name sounds familiar. I'm trying to think what it was. 
some of his VB, VC. No, I'm not gonna be able to find it. That's but yeah, right. like they they're like um they're like these white covers with like the black lines running down them, and there's like two or three of them now. But yeah, they were great as well. At least the first one was, but yeah, I don't know. I think um so I don't really read a lot of YA now, but I, I think it's definitely a good little um kind of a gateway into oh, yeah. stuff. I mean, nowadays it's so like ubiquitous as far as gore goes that what used to be considered young adult is now younger, younger adult. And what used to be considered like too gory for kids is exactly what kids want. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like moved a level. It's, it's shifted a lot over the past 10 years or so where books yeah. like Talia by Volpe would be something that kids like 16 and 17 would actually want to read. Yeah, oh, that would have blown my mind at 16, 17. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished it last week and I was like, holy shit, you're a dark motherfucker, Volpe. <laughs> uh, yeah, love his work. Billy He's Silver, great. I think, is my favorite. But I read both Talia's and they're both awesome as well. Yeah, him and uh, Triana are probably two of my favorites in the community. Like Triana's yeah. book, uh, Full Brutal, that's amazing. I don't know if you read that or not. Uh, it was the second book I read within the Extreme Horror Splatterpunk, so I was instantly oh, a fan. A second or third, I read Depraved by Brian Smith, which was incredible. Oh, I love that book. And then I read Gone to See the River Man, which I liked, but I didn't love, but I really enjoyed the writing. So I was like, oh, what else has he done? And I read Through mm-hmm. Portal, and I was like, well, this is one of the best books I've ever read in my <laughs> life. Like, so it's like really fast-paced and witty, and it's like dark and gory and all these things at once. I was like, this guy is a master of what he does. Like, yeah. I want everybody to know about Triana's work. Yeah, I'm sure his name's going to come up a lot on this podcast. I think I'm going to do, hopefully I'm doing one soon about body art. So that would be cool. I still need to read body art. That and uh, The All Died Screaming, I need to read still. Yeah, I haven't read The All Died Screaming. I read um, And the Devil Cried, which I think is another one I'm covering on here soon, hopefully. So yeah, he's definitely going to come up a few times. Sweet. Yeah, the big head. This one, this blew my fucking mind. I don't know if you want to get into it just now, but yeah, like, yeah, we go for it. This book is probably Edward Lee's most infamous book for many good reasons. As you can see, it's a it's a thick one. I think it's was it three hundred some pages, three hundred fifty. Yeah, just over. Yeah, but yeah, it's oh my god! Like it makes you barf. Like it makes you physically ill reading certain <laughs> scenes. It starts off with a baby being smashed to death with a uh, a cast iron skillet. And like literally the first paragraph, that's what's going on. <laughs> so you know right away if this book is for you or not. Yeah. I didn't I hadn't read the book actually at the time of I read this short collection on Godless by uh, I think his name's Joseph Monks and uh, Candace Nola. Mm-hmm. And each story started with that baby skillet line, like they had oh, really? read. So there's three different stories that all start with that opening line. I had not and heard of this. Like, yeah, and then it just like goes off in this completely other direction each story. But yeah, it's all based <laughs> on that opening line. So that was like before I'd even read the big head. So I hadn't seen what the real version was beforehand. And the real version was not disappointing. <laughs> but you read it, right? The big head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this book, like, I don't know about you, but I got like, it had a physical reaction with me where I had to put it down several times because <laughs> I've read almost all of Edward Lee's work, like, you know, the Hell series and, um, slither and all these great books but the big head for many reasons i think is his most disgusting work like it's got this mammoth man with a giant dick just <laughs> going around raping and eating people for the entire book 
but yep. it has like characterization too, which is kind of rare sometimes in splatter punk where I think sometimes people get so focused on the gore with their books that they kind of forget to develop their characters, which isn't a slight against them. It's just kind of the way of it now. But in the big head and most of Edward Lee's books, he has really strong characters and you get to know them really well and you actually root for them. And as a plus for this book was like for as disgusting as it is, it's I don't want to say beautiful, but <laughs> it's it has its moments where I'm like, I actually was invested in these characters. I'm pleasantly surprised. I like Alexander. I was like he's one of my favorite characters I've read in the genre. I like the priest. Like I just I could have read a whole book about him, which this pretty much was. He featured heavily, but like yeah, like the as amazing as the big head and Dickie and Balls were like the priest Dickie was just like, <laughs> like the priest was amazing. I was like well invested in his character. Like I could have followed him the whole time. Oh yeah. I think he was um I want to say he was the main character in the book because the two girls, I wouldn't really call the one a main character, more of a supporting, but even the main girl, uh, I don't remember Charity. her name. Yeah. Yeah. Like her story wasn't nearly as strong as the priests because I think he was just far more interesting. Mm. Yeah. I felt like he was a bit more integral to the story. Mm. So. Yeah, the ending scene too, where um, spoiler alert, the big head gets shot, I believe, in the face with like a heavy gun. <laughs> I think that's how they kill him. But like, he's definitely not dead. I mean, I think if you've read ahead and seen that there are some sequels, like the uh, White mm. Trash Gothic, where he comes back, spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, yeah, there'll be spoilers throughout just to let everyone know that. But yeah, no, I've, I've only read the header series. And then I looked at, uh, yeah, White Trash Gothic, is it called? And, like, it's a lot of characters from all the different books kind of in there. Mm -hmm. Is that the one? So I was like, oh, man, I need to read some more of these before I get to that one. But, yeah, I noticed the big head turns up a few times, thankfully. Oh, yeah. I definitely He's, like, the iconic the character. But, yeah. Like, just seeing his face on the cover of White Trash Gothic, he looks almost like uh, Victor Crowley from the Hatchet series, if you've seen that. Uh, no, I haven't, no. But they have, like, very similar body types where there's this huge, hulking mass of a dude. And the big head goes into details about his penis several times, <laughs> which I was like, okay, Edward Lee, if you need to use four pages for uh, penis talk, that's, that's up to you. <laughs> You're going to do a description of someone, like, that's the bit to go yeah, deep yeah. dive in, right? Don't start with the face, start with the penis. Just yeah. all the detail. Yes, <laughs> he did start. Like, once you know he's got one great big eye and one little eye, like, after that, all that matters is, like, just how ridiculous that cock is and what he's using <laughs> it on. Yeah, and, like, as he's going through his um, extracurricular activities throughout the book where he's, like, sucking the shit out of people after he murders <laughs> them and then eating them, like, it goes into such excruciating detail, like, he goes into the taste of everything, whether or not there are like <laughs> nuts inside their poop. I'm like, oh god! <laughs> I like the the bit, book's almost uh, like daring you to keep reading. I like the bit where he's like, um, he hasn't come across anyone in a day or two, so like he had to fuck a possum and a snake or something. <laughs> it's just like, what is going on? He's yeah, like, obviously his... chopped the possum's head off so he could like skull fuck. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, and then like later in the book, there's a scene where he comes in on this, uh, I think, a stepfather of some sort. He's trying to like rape his kids and he rapes mm -hmm. the stepfather right in front of them. And it's yeah. like this brutal revenge scene where I'm like, <laughs> am I supposed to be rooting for the big head now? Because he just like totally Batman that situation. <laughs> he did. 
I was so worried for the kids for like Big Head. And it just seemed like he like left him afterwards. And he's like, oh shit, is Big Head the hero of the story? Because I didn't see that going. <laughs> Not all heroes wear capes. Some of them just have giant cocks. Some of them just have <laughs> giant cocks and deformed heads. I like so that's his he... like his big character arc too, is like trying to find a woman with like a big enough vagina to fit his cock. I like know, that's right? his like... chief complaint in life. <laughs> yeah. It's like Are they all get to... split in half. <laughs> Yeah, quite literally, yeah. <laughs> like a fetch quest of the worst kind. <laughs> it would make a good video game. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's the bit with um I was fucked at the end when like after he's uh said there will be spoilers, <laughs> after he's uh raped his sister and stuff and like they've got away. The bit where Jesus is like, Oh no, she's pregnant, like look, she's got like a giant cunt. <laughs> like what the fuck are you doing, Jesus? Like, just lifting his like, cat up. Wasn't there, like, aliens or something at the end? It went all, um, there was, like, a giant temple under the ground and stuff by the church and that. So, yeah, it went very supernatural at the end. Possibly, I like how the whole time, like, the pastor thinks he's talking to, like, actual Jesus. And at the end, yeah. he's like, you really thought I was Jesus? Come on. Yeah, come on, He's man. like, I was obviously the devil. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus, whenever you see him in those visions, he's like smoking a cigarette and acting like an asshole. I love that. Oh, Edward Lee. Yeah. Just, yeah, Jesus just fit right into the Edward Lee universe. You're like, how do you do that? (laughs) He's made Jesus a character more developed than the Bible. Way more developed, yeah. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, a bit more of a dick as well. Yeah. This book has all sorts of dicks, has dickhead people and giant mammoth horse cocks. Yeah. People named Dickie as well. I was like, this the immaturity of the book, I think, makes me like it more because it's so fucking immature at times. <laughs> like, you got characters named Dickie and Balls who just go around gutting people and doing all these vile, horrible things for pages and pages. And, like, one point I was looking ahead, like, how long is this chapter? Like, how much longer <laughs> until we get to the next scene? It was like 20 pages of just vile, horrible shit. There's like balls every time he nuts, he's just like, Oh, like I'm ready to go again. So the oh, chapter the chapter just has to continue. He's like, oh, I've already fucked their guts and come deep inside her and chopped their head off and fucked their neck, but look at me, I'm hard as a rod again. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I like how the book like it dares you to keep reading. It's like an endurance test where it's like, Okay, can you make it through this book? And there aren't too many books like that. I think the last one I read was uh off season by Jack Ketchum. Where again, it has like strong characters and it goes into this really good detail, all the gore and stuff. But again, it's an endurance test. It's like, can you make it through this book? It's like, yeah. I would say that is the holy grail of Splatterpunk books off season. But Big Head is definitely a close second for me. Yeah, I really enjoyed Big Head. Like I said, I'd only really read the Header series before and they were all amazing. Like Header 2 is one of my favorites. But I like how much the Big Head kind of fit in this. So someone who's read a lot of Edward Lee, does he always write in this style? Like, is it always this sort of language and the way he like does his um, words? Is that, or is that just in a particular side of his universe? Or it's it's really strange. I feel like there are almost two versions of Edward Lee. There's the big head version of Edward Lee, where it's all just this excruciating kind of pulpy splatterpunk world stuff. And then there's the guy who wrote Slither and the guy who wrote House Infernal and that whole series mm. where like he, I don't want to say he can do good writing because that sounds kind of condescending, but like he does like 
higher forms of writing that I think are more universal that people who are casual horror fans can enjoy. And then he does yes. this really off the wall, splatterpunk, disgusting shit. So where the Infernal it's like, series has got less pecker snot. Oh no, it's got some fucked up shit in the Infernal series, like for sure. Yeah. It's definitely got some uh, pecker snot. <laughs> <laughs> I think like I think it's written a little more uh, more tactically. Right. Because that was the first feel like when I read like Big Head, it didn't bother me because I'd already read the three headers. But when I read the first header, I was like, it took me a good 20, 30 pages to get into it because of the style of writing. And then I was like, okay, this is absolutely amazing. I'm loving this. But it's quite it's jarring at first if you've never read anything like that. It's funny. Like I read Header for the first time when I was on my way to the hospital to see my little brother because he was uh he was in the process of passing away from cancer and I needed something to like get my mind off that during the ride there. My brother was driving, of course. And um I, I happened to have header on my Kindle. And I was like, I need to pass this eight hour drive somehow and just get my mind off of reality. And holy yeah. shit, the book did not disappoint. Like, <laughs> I was fully invested. I was like, this, this is what I need more of. So I looked ahead at all these other books and that's what got me into like House Infernal and that whole series. And I read most of them out of order because I didn't know there was like, a particular way to read them. Right. But yeah, like I guess you could say Edward Lee rescued me from a bad situation where like when I needed a good book most, there was Header. Awesome. Yeah, and it's it's so fucking off the chart, crazy, insane that it just takes you away, right? It just takes yeah. you into a completely different world. I, it's, it's got people fucking other people's heads. <laughs> like, where else do you get that? And yeah. oh my god, like it goes into the detail, of, like screwing a hole on top, like cutting the brain, and like how it feels and stuff. I'm like, how much research did you do, Edward Lee? I want to believe well, you're a good person. We um. We had it in our recent book. One of our stories had a bit of skull fucking in. Our editor was Christine Morgan. And she was like, got to say, like, the kind of anatomy, the biology of it was a bit wrong, what we had written. And she was like, oh, I need Ed Lee to do like a 101 in skull fucking. <laughs> so he would be the perfect guy to teach that class. Yeah, if he ever did like a workshop at a writer's convention, I think that's what his would be was uh, skull fucking 101. Right? It would be amazing. I would love it. All this time we'd be using the wrong holes. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> you gotta like drill it. You can't just go through the eyes. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> oh so, my god. Um, so with Big Heads, one of the bits I found really interesting about the book was as a reader, you know about Big Head instantly, <laughs> right? But all the characters in the book, Big Head's a myth. Like they don't know if he's real or not, all the people in the tavern and stuff, like I found that like a really interesting dynamic in the book because you were you were kind of ahead of a lot of the characters. But at the same time, like it built up the anticipation. Mm -hmm. What I like too is like Big Head is the myth, but he's also more innocent. I mean, he's not like a good person or anything like that, but there's like a certain innocence to him where I think he has like a mental uh mental uh, illness of some sort. Mm. where he only functions as this monster that he is, almost like Frankenstein, where he just doesn't know any better. Whereas you have characters like Dickie and Balls, who are very real people, who everybody knows are real people, and they're far more evil because they have, like, choice and they have, you know, they, <laughs> they can actually think this shit they, through. They, they have to rape the girl. Like, there's no choice. They have to rape her and kill her every time. Every single time. Every time. <laughs> as soon as I see Dickie and Balls at the heading of the next uh, chapter, I'm like, okay, I know what's going to happen in this chapter. It's going to be terrible for somebody. 
Yeah, some gal is getting diced up. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, there's certain things I can't take in books, but like the big head, it I couldn't put it down. No matter how far to the edge it pushed me, where I was like, God damn it, I don't want to read this. <laughs> well, when I um I put down on Facebook, I think it was, I was gonna read the big head this a few months back. And uh, someone, I forget who it was, so I apologize, but somebody like wrote a message on my comment and was basically like, you're either going to get massively turned on or you're going to be like really disgusted, <laughs> often at both at the same time. Which I feel like good. I would have to judge you if you got massively turned on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of fucking in this booklet. Oh, God. I mean, it's like borderline pornography at times. Well, no, it's not even borderline, it just straight up is, <laughs> but it's like not any kind anyone would ever want to watch. No, I, mean, I can comfortably say this book can never be a movie. No, well, I don't know how they've done the header movie. I've never got around to watching it, but I can't imagine how they've done it. I don't know. I need to find it, though, and watch it. This is one yeah. of these nights. But yeah, it's like Big Head, no chance. Like, I don't know where they would... It'd be like 20 minutes long. They'd have to just cut too much. Not unless, like, Tom Six, the guy who directed Human Centipede, directed it. Yeah, yeah. Then, then you would have to go see it, because it'd be like, you know how vile it's going to be. I would definitely watch Tom Six, the Big Head. Like... He had a movie recently called The Onania Club that's been hard to find. Like, nobody knows where it is, like, where you can watch it. But it's been out for two years, apparently. Oh, shit. No, I didn't know he'd done anything after then Human Centipede 1, 2, and 3. He shouldn't have, but he did. <laughs> I love After one that third two, Human Centipede, I was, I was like, where? Yeah. yeah. One and two, I thought, were amazing. And the third, I just got bored with. <laughs> I like how the second one, I mean, going a little bit off subject here, the second Human Centipede movie, where it's a guy watching the first Human Centipede and, like, bringing that into reality. And then the third one is somebody <laughs> watching the first two movies. <laughs> so it's like, it's meta on top of meta. Yeah, yeah, I loved the first one because I just thought it was a really good mad scientist movie. I was like, we don't get mad scientist flicks anymore. Like, it's cool that someone's done one, even in a fucked up weird way. Like, just reminded me of the 80s again. What was funny about that was it was like a cultural moment where even people who weren't like fans of that kind of horror movie, they knew all about Human Centipede, where everybody knew about this movie. They knew what it was. And just the idea of what it was was haunting enough. Like, you didn't have to actually see the movie to be disturbed by it. Like, yeah. if someone tells you this movie is about some guys sewing people's mouths to assholes, it's like, okay, I got that picture in my head. I don't need to see it to be haunted by it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I loved it. Whereas Edward Lee goes completely in the opposite direction, where it's like, no, you're going to pick this book up and fucking suffer through it. I'm going to show you everything. <laughs> yeah, he didn't... Um... Yeah, he didn't pull the camera away at any point, really, did he? Like, no. Within, like, the story. I always say pull the camera. Like, my head always works in such a film way. But, like, he didn't, like, you know, sort of withdraw or leave anything to the imagination. He was like, nope, I'm giving you all the details. Even when, like, Aunt Annie's in her room just, like, masturbating, he's still telling you about that as someone's watching through the walls. Oh, yeah. It was almost like um, October Underground. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, no, no, no. It's pretty much just a snuff film, and that's what a lot of the big head is. It's just these horrible deaths happening, where it's like detail, detail, detail. Like when most writers would cut away, like you said, and be like, "Okay, we're gonna stop the chapter here, just as the action is beginning, and leave all that to the imagination, and then move on next chapter without any of that detail." Edward mm -hmm. Lee's like, "Nope, nope. At least a third of this book is just horrible death." <laughs> yeah, third like hot sex, a third horrible death, and. The rest is just swearing and smoking. 
even the priest. Mostly the priest. It's a ride. Yeah, the priest definitely was a great character. Like, he was the one I really related to most. I mean, if you can relate to any characters in the book, it's probably him. Because he doesn't have, like, a giant monstrous dick raping people. And he's (laughs) not, like, some chick visiting the city with all these visions and stuff. He's just, like, the normal man of the book. Like, trying to be this holy man and trying to, like, be, you know, what's the word? Justified. I like the fact that the normal man in the books having dreams about none stepping on his balls and pissing on him. Oh yeah, he has visions of Jesus being his wingman, like, and he's the normal <laughs> guy. He's he's the most like normal guy in the book. <laughs> yeah, it's it says something when your normal person is that far off the edge. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Did you think? Um. Did you think the uh, the helping hand? I forgot the guy's name now. The guy that helped around the house for Annie. Did you think he was going to kind of become evil? Or I, I knew was something gonna was going to happen with him. Like the scene where he got dispatched, that was really hard to read through because I was like, "That's it. That's what this character is leading to this whole time." Was just a horrible death where he gets <laughs> doesn't he get like is he gets hung off a cliff by his balls or something like that? Yeah, I think. Doesn't he run into Dickie and Balls, doesn't he? I don't even think he runs into the big head, if I remember rightly. No, that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought he was going to, like, fight the big head at some point and, like, defend the girls because he's the creep. And, like, you know, yeah. it's going to be creep versus creep. But no, Dickie and Balls, they just, oh, God. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it has something to do with them, like, eviscerating him and then pulling his balls out and throwing him off a cliff or something. Yeah, I think it was pretty much that, yeah. Oh, and, then, and then they're like, he didn't come home that night. And you're like, no fucking shit, he didn't come home that <laughs> night. I don't think he's just driven into town or something. They're like, nope. Yeah, yeah anybody, uh, anybody who knows me through my moving through book and is listening to this currently, I promise this, is, this isn't all I read. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, uh, if you thought this is all I read, it might be some sick shit. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I haven't read anything that's not extreme in quite a while now. It's just oh, like yeah. a big rabbit hole. I've just yeah, you've stepped in, now you can't get out. Yeah. Yeah, I went yeah. to uh, AuthorCon 1 and 2, and I just stocked up in all these books by, like, Triana, Volpe, Beauregard, and all these guys. And it's, like, all different levels of extreme. Some of them are better written than others, but Splatterpunk, to me, it doesn't matter so much the quality of the writing versus, like, what's being shown. And whether it's challenging you as a reader and whether you as the reader want to look away or not. Because I think that's I'm more important in the Splatterpunk community than like trying to be the next Stephen King or trying to have like a really poetic flow. It's about, you know, the story itself, not so much how it's told. Hmm. Yeah, I reread the um slop the other day. Uh, that was one of the early ones I read and rereading that. I was just like, man, this book is so beautifully crafted. Like it's yeah. just it's got all the nasty extreme stuff you could want, but so well put together. The whole structure of the story is just like that book bothered on. me because I've yeah that book got under my skin. Like I really liked the author a lot, uh, Aaron Beauregard. He's like the nicest dude, but I was like, man, <laughs> you are fucked up in the head. <laughs> yeah, I like that in my office. But it's a good thing though. I mean, if I can find a book that actually bothers me and makes me upset, that means that book was well written. Hmm. Like, if the, if the book can manage to upset me in a way that a movie can't, or, like, real-life situations can't, like, that's challenging a whole different part of your mentality. And it's, like, it's engaging you. I mean, if you read something and you're imagining it and it's getting under your skin, 
I, I think that's healthy in its own way to be challenged like that, like to read something so. uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just it's interesting with the balance of it, isn't it? Like something like the big head, um, and especially header two in the header series, like they're both so fucking absurd that it goes mm-hmm. into maybe not satire, but it's so over the top. Yeah, like the scene just... where they're like stuffing women up into this big woman's vagina like, as punishment, <laughs> yeah. and then I think the scene where I had to stop reading because I haven't finished header part two, I had to put it aside. Was when he was describing like torturing some woman where you like cut her waist and then pulled her skin off like it was pants. <laughs> I'm like, oh god, I, I I gotta stop. I need a break. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like back to that being like a whole different avenue of reading. It, it's challenging and it's fun in its weird way because it challenges you in a way that movies can't. Because movies, you can hit pause, go to the bathroom, walk away. Books, mm. it's like no your your eyes are going to keep looking you're not going to stop when you're in it longer as well right like a movie is pretty much well not anymore but it used to be an hour and a half it's about two hours now where yeah. a book you know you're still looking at three four hours for most books so you're more committed and you you can't fuck around on your phone while you're reading a book or whatever like you've got to properly take it in yeah I think that's why the audiobook version of certain books like Big Head, I think, kind of takes away a little bit because you can, like you say, fuck around while listening to an audiobook and miss like details or tune out a little bit or just mm. hit pause or do other things while you're listening. And I'm not knocking audiobooks. I love audiobooks, but like books like this are made to be read because it's like so much more engaging. Yeah, I haven't I haven't listened to a single audiobook yet. I'm gonna have to soon because um, actually it's an Edward Lee one. I have to listen to the goon because that's the only way I can get hold of it. Um, oh yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to take it all in as well. Like I like reading the words off the page; they stick in my mind better. Do you have to like isolate yourself in a dark room and just sit and listen? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like uh, <laughs> just hold the piece of paper in my hand, like I'm reading it or something. <laughs> just retrain my mind. Yeah, so, this is a. Definitely one of my favorite fucked up books. So who would you uh who would you go with with your favorite character in the big head then? Is it the priest or are you leaning more towards the big head himself? I think the big head and the priest are interesting for different reasons. Like the priest is this guy trying his hardest to get away from his old ways and be a holy man and help his girls out and be really justified. Whereas the big head is obviously <laughs> deranged and mentally ill and all he thinks about is fucking eating and killing. And it's like, that's, that that's all the character you're going to get from the big head. Like even with really? the revelation at the end where he's like related to the main character, like there's no mm. emotional moment with him. It's just, you know, this guy functions just to rape, murder and kill. Mm. Well, murder and kill are two same words. <laughs> It's interesting as well, isn't it? Like, because Alexander clearly was a bit of a playboy back in the day. Mm-hmm. So one of the big head's main driving forces is like one of the things that the priest is trying to repress as much as possible. Why he's got, uh, what's her name, Jerrica, kind of over his shoulder all the time, just itching for him to fuck her. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's like spends the whole book trying to like be like, nope, sorry, can't happen. Meanwhile, yeah, Jerrica too, like, she has force. that like, Jerrica's big deal is that she can't keep a guy because she's always cheating and stuff and always like <laughs> on to the next one. And it's like her and the big head are kind of foils for each other in that way. 
where yeah. like he functions just to do monstrous things and like just to uh, I, I, yeah but i think like, he's her, a good like, red herring though because i thought the big head and her something would happen there there would be some clash with them oh she gets her head smashed in by uh dicky and balls isn't she yeah yeah i don't even think she really gets to confront the big head i think they fuck her up down in the um under the church oh yeah see i didn't like that part i I was hoping she would have more of a character arc at the end where she would have like her redemption her redemption or like a chance at it but instead she just got killed very abruptly which I guess yeah. was like what he was going for, kind of like, you know, not all characters are going to be important at the end. Some of them literally are just going to die, just to die. But... Yeah, that's what I mean. It was like a bit of a red herring because you thought like, oh, maybe she's the one who could satisfy the, the big head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and end up being the innocent one. <laughs> yeah. And said the innocent one was charity, sort of the innocent one. <laughs> oh, she was fucked up too, though. <laughs> She was. Her story was really weird. Like I had no idea what it was. Like when she was like in the opening chapters going on about how men are just like walking out of her life. Like, you know, they're like have sex with her and then that's it. Like they're never here again. And you think it's that typical she'd been like just used and dumped or whatever, but mm-hmm. nothing like that at all. Like, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the book overall with the characters. I don't think there was a weak character. Well, if any of the characters could be called weak. I think it would be Dickie and Balls just because they're so one-dimensional where they're not mentally ill like the big head <laughs> and they're not like, they're just evil people. Like everything they do is evil and that's all the depth you get is, okay, these guys are evil. They're going to do evil stuff every page. I think Dickie, I think it's Dickie. I think he's occasionally like, oh, we might have gone too far here, but Balls is just like, nope, let's go further. Oh, yeah. Definitely not my favorite characters to read just because like that sort of fucked up evil is just hard to process, especially in fiction, where it's like it's in your head. You're not watching it on a screen, but like your mind is creating these things. It's magical in a way. (laughs) Yeah, I love those sort of characters. I'm the complete opposite. Like I find Dickie and Balls hilarious. It's just so over the top. Yeah, I just find it entertaining. Like, if they dialed it back, I would probably like them less. But because you're like, it's too far. Like, they can't be people like this. Like, that's when it becomes funny. What I like about Edward Lee is that there is no too far for him. Like, even in his more mainstream (laughs) books, well, not mainstream, but in his more uh, accessible books, like Slither and um, The Gollum, they're still lines that most people wouldn't cross that he just jumps over with glee <laughs> like there is no too far for edward lee and i really respect that about him like there's nothing this guy can't do i uh, definitely need to read a lot more of his like i see it like there's a fair bit of it i think you can get hold of as well now but yeah i don't know it's like where to start there's so many of them like i would definitely recommend slither it's this fun yeah. It doesn't have all the uh, all the madness of the big head, but it's it's a fun story. Okay, maybe I have to bump that one up the list. I've got the television on my TBR, like that's ready to read. And um, what's the pig one? Pig heads or free pigs, something like that. Yeah, I think it's like okay. three stories. Yeah, I think that one I've got somewhere ready to read as well. So. And I need to read header part two and three. There's a third one, isn't there? Yeah, the third one's with Ryan Harden as well. Okay. He um, wrote uh, General Grinder, right? Yes, yeah. That was the last video I just done, actually, which would be oh, aired nice. in like 
well, by the time this one shows, but my time is at the moment all messed up. Everything's like a month in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so this probably be released what in June or something? Yeah, probably middle of the June. Yeah. So by the time this is released, I'll probably have finished reading um header two and three so exactly. future chase i hope you enjoyed it <laughs> yeah you should enjoy header two man header two is crazy good like the one upsmanship in that book just it goes so fucking far like i don't know how far in it you are but every escalation is just so much worse than the last like considering the first escalation was like stuffing someone's head in a giant cut you're like where do you go from there but yeah, you found a way. Just everything got worse. See, that's something I really respect about splatterpunk authors. Is like it's a challenge to keep pushing the envelope. Like once you've shown something really, really vile, you got to figure out how am I going to top that? I still have all these pages left to go, and the story's not done yet. That I can't have my big, you know, giant uh, horrible thing happen early in the book because then I have to top that. Hmm. Yeah, so I really like... uh, find it interesting. Yeah, like something like the slob, like the vacuum cleaner is like pretty much the oh, halfway God. point. Like that's the fifty percent mark. You still got another you still got the whole half of the book to go. Like And it still gets worse. <laughs> and it still gets worse, yeah. So like the scene yeah. with the with the ham where he stuffs it inside of her. I was like, Oh my God. It's, it's describing the frothiness and shit. <laughs> yeah, that's all in the same chapter. I literally I've just made a video about this and it's like the meat that he's Sticking in her pussy and then he's eating and making her eat, and then the vacuum cleaner and smashing the fuck out of her with the dumbbell. Like it's all in oh. like one chapter. <laughs> yeah. How much nastiness can you fit into a single chapter? See, that's why I respect Splatterpunk author so much. Is like <laughs> if you can make me uncomfortable, make my skin crawl, I I love you as a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't like it's not too many times where I've like being like oh fuck like i think what good girls do like that first chapter was like mental i was like what the fuck am i reading like that's insane i still need to read that um, i know he has a second one coming out uh what yeah good I, yeah i've read that i got an arc for that that's just as good sweet and um aaron Beauregard's the clock like that really got to me because it was a bit more psychological like that one was but yeah for the most part i just find it all quite funny and amusing the yeah, these guys are all fantastic writers. That's something that I think a lot of people wouldn't really expect because, you know, you think Splatterpunk and you think, okay, it's going to be just gore over quality. But no, okay. it's like they have, yeah. they're high quality and they're fun. I love the gross-out stuff and some of the gross-out stuff is incredibly well-written as well, but the stuff that's extreme horror, but you've still got those, like, incredible characters. Something like Yellow is, like, a perfect noir, mm-hmm. but as a book and still has all the extreme shit, like, you got this, those sort of balances, I think, are incredible. Have you ever been to a gross-out contest? I haven't, no. I've read a couple of the stories. Like, I've read um, Judith Sonnet's Lol Cow in one of her books. And I read, the other week, Daniel Volpe's Strawberry Shortcake. Oh, God. That was vile. <laughs> but no, I haven't actually been to one live yet. Like, I've read Duncan Ralston's gross-out book, which is kind of like the process of it, but... Yeah, no, not seen one live yet. It's fun seeing them live because, like, the rules are you have, like, I think two minutes to get the audience invested in your story. And if they're not invested by two minutes, you get booed off stage and you're done. And the last <laughs> one I was at, 
every single person did well, like nobody got booed off stage. And you'll learn very quickly that, you know, the quality of the storytelling has to be top tier to keep the audience invested. And you can't just have the gross outs. You have to tell a good story too. And mm. the gross out is, of course, you know, what you're there for. But finding ways to gross people out who are used to being grossed out is fucking hard. <laughs> it's yeah. like there are only so many times you can hear the same descriptions. So all these people have to be really innovative and creative. And like that makes me really appreciate it too. Cause it's like there's an art to grossing somebody out. Yeah, definitely. Like I've read, I don't know, I must be getting close to like 150 to 200 around that sort of mark in Extreme Horror Splatpunk. And I haven't read the same book twice yet. Like there's definitely like a lot of variety within it. Like there's not, uh, you know, I've probably read about 50 books about fucking corpse fucking, but they're all different. <laughs> Just 50. <laughs> yeah, just a couple here and there. You know, some involve kids, some are adults. Like, some are while you're doing it on the job. Some are oh, sneaking no. in. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's another Triana one I love. It's Toxic Love. That one's great. I need to read that still. I think I have a digital copy of that one. Yeah, that's really good, that one. Um, so, yeah, what else with the big heads? Um... What else have we got here? Yeah, so what did you make of the weird little dream sequences? Did they take you out the book or get you more invested? Like with Alexander, well, everyone had dreams at various points, but his were the most disturbing. I really enjoyed them. It didn't take me out of the story at all. I think like it broke the story up nicely because you can only have the same thing happening over and over again so many times with the big head, finding something, someone or something and raping something it. Something goes yeah. Yeah, you know, whether it's a possum or a straggler <laughs> of some sort. <laughs> but then, like, you have the dream sequences that are, like, a different kind of horror. More, uh, what's the word? Not really like cosmic, but, like, uh, I'll think of it. Like, dreamscape worlds. It's, yeah. It's fun in it a was, way to break the story up like that. I found it somewhere between, like, dreamscape and kind of old. It's not really Hammer, but, like, that sort of, like, more older sort of horror. It felt like an, an updated version of sort of yeah pretty much like 60s horror like with the kind of nuns and the sort of dour setting but then it went a bit more extreme when they were doing all kinds of shit to him oh yeah um and yeah, like, yeah i enjoyed the dream sequences mm, yeah i like the fact that they were kind of turned out to be part of the story as well lead like all roads lead into this church where this giant confrontation between everyone was taking place Oh, yeah. Like, he, I can tell he mapped the book out really nicely, too. Like, I don't think this is a book that he just pants. I think there was a good outline to it. Yeah. Because, like, I everything so. led logically to that ending. Yeah. As much as the ending was illogical with the fucking underground temple and these nuns locked in there and all the mystical shit, you know, like, at the same time, it all fit really well. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think uh, 10 out of 10, as far as gross-out books go, this is, like, top tier. This is top-shelf wine. This is, you know, the book to end all Splatterpunk books. <laughs> like, I think once you've read this book, you're going to be a little bit desensitized to everything else because you can't compare. Would you recommend someone going, like, straight in on this one? If they're, like, new to the genre, would you think they got to ease up to it? Or would you, would you be like, you know what, if you survive this, you're in the right place? 
I think I would respect somebody more if they dove right in. <laughs> yeah, it's just probably I'd be like, you thing. started with the big head. What? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, that's like that's like jumping off a cliff into the quarry. It's like it's a moment of truth. It's like, are you going to do this? Are you ballsy enough? Are you <laughs> just jump right in? Like, yeah, I think my biggest regret is I didn't read it earlier. Like, I read it after I've read so many other Splatterpunk books. I don't know. I quite liked building up to it. Like, I jumped in with Depraved, which, you know, that was pretty hardcore. But, like, the big head's got more of its own style, and it's a bit more unrelenting. Like you said, like, Dickie and Balls are just, everything they do is nasty. There's no breathing oh, yeah. for it. Like, See, so I don't know. I liked kind of building up to this book, and then just being able to enjoy the insanity of it. Yeah. And it is definitely an insane book too. Like if somebody is listening to this or watching this right now and they have no idea what we're talking about, and this is like a new book to you, I recommend getting a copy and at least reading the first chapter, because if you can handle that first chapter, you're going to learn very quickly whether or not this genre is for you or the subgenre. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone's introduction in this book's quite crazy. And the big head's got the whole, Skittle thing, like I think Dickie and Balls are raping some girl straight away. Like Jerrica's got her affair instantly. Like mm -hmm. her boyfriend walks in on her with two guys. The priest is like having some giant argument with his like pastor or whatever, and he's just fucking swearing and smoking and drinking. It's just like everyone's intro is just crazy straight away. Yeah. But, I think Aunt Annie's got an alright intro. I think she's like quite homely until she starts going off to the graves and masturbating and all the rest of it. But Oh yeah. Wasn't that her aunt or something who was doing that? Hmm. It says yeah, because it was the graves were for Charity's mum, weren't they, if I remember rightly. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of like keeping an eye on them and stuff, but at the same time, like yeah, like they gave birth possibly to the big head right because it's yeah because it's charity's brother so it was all massively incestuously fucked up yeah which was just like an added bonus to it it was already crazy it's like it's throwing incest i feel like if you read this book you're on a list somewhere like if you bought a copy <laughs> <laughs> you should be right it's, it's, it's on a list it's bonkers. It's fucked. It's like, it's crazy for all sorts of reasons. And I think that's why I love it so much is like, there aren't many books like this because everyone else would get to that edge and they would pull away. Like you said, they would pull the camera mm. away, but not Edward Lee. Like he's no. right there with the camera close up. Yeah. Well, that's what I liked about Dickie and Balls because they were that going over the edge, weren't they? Like they would do mm. something horrendous and then they would keep going and then they would go even more. And then they'd be like, right, what horrendous shit can we do next? Like, it just felt like the style of the book. Yeah, I think like as a writer too, you learn a lot reading this book. Like not just like storytelling wise, but like the art of going too far. You know, yeah. it, it challenges you as a writer to like, you know, can I do this? Like, am I comfortable pushing the envelope? Like, am I the type of writer who's even interested in writing a splatterpunk book? Because if so, this is the high water mark. Like, this is where you have to go. I think yeah. you learn very quickly if you're capable of it as a writer. Like, can you go past that edge? Are you going to jump off that, you know, high cliff? Yeah, it's a conversation I've had with a few people. Like, this idea that, like, you can't go half in. Mm -hmm. If you go half in, like, you can come across as offensive or, like, forced or something. Like, you've kind of 
you've got to just go all in like so people know it's genuine and it's part of the story no matter how fucked up it is yeah because they're like there are two ways to tell the same scene i mean there's the way we say you know then the man's head got cut off with a chainsaw and that's it or you go in you describe the feeling of the chainsaw in the person's hand the sound it makes as it's going in the splatter of the blood you know the feeling of gristle cutting through the last couple inches it's like yeah. there are two ways and like one of those ways is extremely I want to say plain, but it leaves more to the imagination. The other way is like, no, this is what you're going to experience. Like, this is yeah. some hardcore shit. Yeah, it's got to be the laughter every time. Yeah, like you have to go all <laughs> in. I think Jack Ketchum is the one who said, like, don't look away. Like, you know, when yeah. you get uncomfortable, keep going. Yeah. See, I was well trained in that. Like, when I was younger, like early 20s, I just... I hunted out any film that had been banned or was considered controversial. I was like, I need to know why. I need to watch it and just see how far they went. Like, oh, yeah. I would always just watch anything that was like, any film that had gone too far, I was like, well, that's moved to the top of my list. Like, how did it go too far? I think that's the reason I watched Serbian film, because everyone was like, oh, this movie is so vile. Like, you won't even believe what they do, you know. And of course, the movie is not going to live up to the expectations because you're hearing all these things from people saying this movie is so disturbing. It's going to ruin you as a person if you watch this. And you're like, oh, yes, I need yeah, to see exactly. this now. Yeah. And at the end, it's like your imagination, I think, is much more vile than the movie can ever be. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a vile movie still, but I was like, the cinematography was amazing. It was a beautiful looking film. It was. I, was like, I can't be that put off when I'm watching this film thinking, fuck me, like, they really got the lighting's fantastic. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the funny part it's such a well-made movie yeah (laughs) it's not you know it's not like fucking necromance or whatever it's like you know it's a proper like someone spent some money making a really nice film just about a horrific subject but yeah i think that's why it didn't put me off as much because i was like no this is like a real film this isn't some bootleg underground movie like someone's put a lot of care and attention into this it's like someone's version of deer hunter it's like this is their art film yeah exactly yeah but yeah those are definitely like they were the sort of movies i'd always sort out like 120 days of solemn or whatever and el topo and anything that was considered like you can't watch this it's too fucked up like i was like okay well, i'll watch it that next yeah yeah i was talking to somebody last night they're like this huge horror movie fan but they only know like the popular horror movies like evil dead and gremlins and that kind of thing I was mm. like, have you seen Serbian film? They're like, what's that? I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to open up a whole <laughs> new world of horror for you. <laughs> yeah. Then we got to, like, French Extreme. Yeah, exactly. Like, Malta's just fucking nuts, that movie. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was younger, like, um, I'm showing my age, but we had, like, a lot of VHS, like, taped off the TV. So my dad had, like, a VHS list and, like, what each tape was. And there were certain ones that were, like, little in brackets, like, do not watch sort of thing so obviously like they were always the ones where i'm like well i want to see what straw dogs is about like yeah if you put do not watch i'm gonna watch it yeah so i think that's where it comes from i think that's my origin story for why i watch fucked up shit is because i was told don't watch that fucked up shit (laughs) yeah i think that's uh if you tell your kids don't watch this that's gonna make them watch it i think so you might as well lead them directly to the vhs player (laughs) <laughs> exactly if you had just like left it there and straw dogs i would have been like, i don't want to watch a movie about dogs like <laughs> i would never <laughs> found out but because you do not watch i was like well i'm watching that 
<laughs> so growing up, your parents let you watch a lot of horror movies then, right? Um, yeah, I didn't really, I wouldn't say I grew up on horror. Like we grew up kind of mostly watching like action flicks, like Arnie, Sly, like Emilio Estevez, like those sort of things. Um, but yeah, like, I don't really know what sort of got me into the horror stuff. It would have been it's probably around 12, 13, probably when I started watching more horror. But once I started, I was just watching all of them. Mm-hmm. Because I remember, like, The Exorcist was still banned when I was a kid. I remember, like, getting hold of this, like, at school, getting this bootlegged Dutch subtitled version of The Exorcist and just thinking, like, this is really boring because it was such a bad copy. It made the movie feel boring. So Mm -hmm. I felt like I was desensitized straight away. Like, now I watch that film and it scares the shit out of me. But back when I was, like, 13, I was like, nothing's fucking happening. Like, this isn't scary. Now I'm like, fuck that medical scene with those loud machines. Like that just freaks me out. <laughs> That's one of my favorite movies. I got to see it on the big screen last year, fortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably not actually my favorite William Freakin film. I really love um To Live and Die in LA. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's not a horror, but it's an amazing I seen movie. That one. So good. It's like um like French connection, all those sort of things. It's but it's a great film. But yeah, like the horror stuff, I just, yeah, I think once I started watching horror, then I was just seeking out the nastiest shit, like going through the video nasty list, making sure I watched all of them. Because, um, yeah, again, like my dad like was of the age when the video nasty stuff was kind of all happening. So oh, yeah. I was all, I'm always kind of jealous that he got to like go to video stores and get bootleg copies of the video nasties under the counter. Like, I would have thrived back then. <laughs> <laughs> that was like my dream as a kid because we had a special at the video store it was five movies for five dollars for five days and mm. i was just like load up for the week with like 20 movies and just slowly make my way through the entire horror section yeah. and it's always like that under the counter stuff too where it's like you have to actually go to the counter and ask the person can i rent this movie yeah i managed the blockbuster store like i worked for blockbusters for like seven years and at one point I had like 10 free rentals a week and i'd use them all up by like wednesday and have to use other people's accounts like i was there about seven years i must have gone through about fucking six seven thousand movies it was ridiculous damn like every horror i could get hold of everything that came in like just any horror stuff was instant watch and then anything else as well far too many films <laughs> that's why now where i don't watch as many movies i don't feel guilty about it so i'm like oh, fucking, i've watched like ten thousand films already it's fine I can spend my yeah. time reading books. Yeah, it's hard for me to sit and watch movies now as compared to sitting and just reading a book. Because I feel like one is more engaging for me. Well, I think it's because a lot of modern horror, I just, I can't, well, a lot of modern cinema, I just, no interest in it. Just, if it's not made in South Korea, I'm not really interested in the moment where I've discovered this whole new world of splatterpunk and extreme horror. All the stuff I'm not getting in my movies, I'm getting in my books now. So. Mm. I think like the American ideal of movies is uh, it holds back too much with horror movies. Whereas like French extreme movies, like they go all in, like they are splatterpunk. Yeah. Yeah. Like something like Raw is amazing. Like Mm -hmm. that's the equivalent of, I feel like of what I'm reading at the moment where, yeah, like going to Hollywood, like even if I enjoy a a horror film, there's nothing about it. I'm going to remember. I'll just enjoy watching it at the time because it's an okay movie, but. 
I won't, the scenes won't stick with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so is there anything else really in the big head? Have we covered a fair bit of it here? Is there anything? I think we covered most of it. Jumping out? Yeah, just looking through my notes and there's not too much there. I don't think that we haven't covered. Um, yeah. So you reckon, um, so if I'm going to read some new Ed Lee soon, you think start with Sliver? You think that's the one to go to next? Yeah, I would say Slither or um, what was it? The Golem is pretty good. The Golem. Because I yeah. kind of want to read the, um, at some point, not yet, but I want to read the uh, Inferno series, is it? Oh, that is so good. Because I've read Christine Morgan's Lake House and Warlock, so I've seen like her sort of side stories on them, but I haven't seen the original, read the original stuff yet. Oh, they're really good. They're fast paced too, because they're kind of, um, they're longer books, but yeah, they're so fast paced you don't even notice. Right. I think that's what's putting me off at the moment is they are a bit chunkier. <laughs> I think I it's beautiful. Read, yeah, I could read three other books at that time. <laughs> Where I'm like making stuff for the channel. It's like, right, like I could read this one book or I could get like a couple of videos out of this. Yeah. So you can do it as like a series. Yeah, no, I think that's what I'm tempted to do. Um, so I've done the header series. I've done that on the channel. So, yeah, I would probably have to do it as a series. I think I'd have to read one a month for a few months and then do a series so I can get the extra video out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been really fun. Yeah, it's been really good, man. Um, I was looking forward to chatting about the big head because, yeah, it's one of those books that you're like, people should definitely know about it and read it, right? Like, it's just... Uh, it should be essential reading within the genre. Mm -hmm. Definitely yeah. is. A, I don't know if it's a starter book or not for people, but if you start with the big head, I respect you. <laughs> exactly. Just dive right in. Uh, so, yeah. So, very, thank you very much for coming along and chatting to me about it. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate this. Yeah, no, it's been good, man. Like I said, it was fun coming on your show. So, it's nice having it the other way around as well. Yeah. And, yeah. And, um, if you just want to remind everyone before we go as well what your show is, just so they know to go and check it out. Oh, yeah, it's a Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, or on Amazon, or pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And that can be found at chasewill.com. So there we go. So yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And thank you for coming along onto the show, Chase. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. See you all later. Bye. Bye.